Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the New Yorker podcast presented by Visa. I'm your host, Olivia Landis. Another week. Today, it's a little bit of a rainy day, but we have a very special guest, SNY's Janae Coakley, who I have known for, actually, it's almost been four years now. Janae, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Olivia. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to finally be able to have you on the podcast And we have had so many discussions before because, like I said, you are a beat reporter for the New York Jets working with SNY. I'm a team reporter. I've been working here for going on my fourth season now. Um, Kind of funny because we always talk about some of the similarities that we have growing up, you know, one of five kids. We both have siblings who are twins. (laughs) Yeah. I want to dive a little bit deeper into your story, though, so our listeners can hear where you came from and kind of how you grew up. So let's first start off. Where were you born and raised and what first sparked your interest in sports? So I was actually born in Newport News, Virginia. My father was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot as a kid. Um, And then we finally, when I was, I think, four or five, we settled in upstate New York, Plattsburgh, New York. There was an Air Force base there. So it was me. Um, I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. And I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. So um, I'm right in the smack dab in the middle of two boys. Uh, my mom is a phys- physical education teacher. My father was in the Air Force, but coached high school football. So sports were such a huge part of my upbringing. Um, we didn't have TV. We had, well, we got one station because we lived like next door to a dairy farm in Plattsburgh, New York. Uh, so we had ABC. That was the only station we could watch. So we watched like sports, football, um, college football on Saturday and then whatever game was on Monday night football. Um, so that was pretty much all we had. But so sports was such a big thing. My brothers and I were so competitive. We were outside playing. I would play wiffle ball, baseball. We skied in the winter. I swam in the summer. Um, it was just so much fun. And then when I was eight years old, my parents, we joke and say they had a midlife crisis and had a set of <laughs> identical twin girls. So they became my baby dolls because growing up with being in between two boys, I played with G.I. Joe. I was such a tomboy because my parents didn't really have a lot of money. So I had a lot of hand-me-downs. So when my sisters were born, it was like, oh my gosh, I get these baby dolls. So um, those are, those are my first, you know, baby dolls. I got to play with them, but I just always loved sports. It was something I always did. I played every sport you can imagine, um, softball, soccer, volleyball. I was a gymnast, shocking, I know. (laughs) Um, And then I was recruited to play D3 volleyball. And then I was recruited to play D2 softball. But I just didn't really love the sport enough to have that much commitment towards it. So I was like, what can I do um, to keep sports in my life? So I was like, hmm, I can get paid to actually watch and talk sports. I think I'm going to go into broadcast journalism. So that's kind of how I got into it. So long story short, that's pretty much what it's about. That's crazy. I actually didn't know that you were recruited for not one but two sports to play at in college. I also played softball. I didn't play volleyball because back in Colorado, they're they're the same season so mm. I played softball too but what position did you play I was actually a catcher oh okay. which is hilarious people are like you know I, w- I was fast and I was smaller but I was quick I was a gymnast so I could like do splits yeah. and I was you know uh league of their own yeah. I was Dottie Henson I love <laughs> being Dottie um so yeah and um I'm gonna brag a little bit because I can because I was in you high should. school and it was like a small little school um, when I was a senior, no one stole off me because they called me a, the gun because I had a really, uh-huh. I was had a strong arm. But that was just, I think, growing up with two brothers, where I always either had to outrun them or outthrow them or just be stronger than them, or else I was not going to su- survive. 
Yeah, but I think that's kind <laughs> of such a cool part of being in the sports broadcast broadcast industry. You run into a lot of women who are self-proclaimed tomboys. A lot of times mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I grew up playing so many sports and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's like part of this job. You have to dress nice, look very nice. But at, at the end of the day, tomboy is still in there. <laughs> exactly. This I mean, I still have the curls a little bit, but yeah. it's funny because like you said, Olivia, when we get into broadcast journalism, like a lot of it's hair and makeup and the way you look where it's like, yeah. no, no, I like sweatpants. I like hair in a ponytail. Yeah. I don't, I never wore makeup until I was out of college. My mom, I never had, my mom never had her ears pierced. Like I was such a tomboy. Yeah. Honestly, I was, I was the exact same way. I remember when I was in middle school, it's so funny looking back now and thinking about it, but I, you know, every year before school started, my mom would take us to buy a couple of pair, new pairs of clothes or a new pair mm-hmm. of shoes I only let my mom buy me gym shorts <laughs> all of middle school <laughs> I was like I'm only wearing shorts I only want to wear gym shorts and then I'd like pace my hair back in a tight little bun and I would just go and play all the sports I was such a tomboy it's it's crazy yeah but you live in Colorado you wore G- you wore shorts to school yeah I was I was a little bit of an insane child. <laughs> I was a wild child. <laughs> she couldn't right, I like well. it. I like it. So you had quite the journey to get to sports broadcast. Something interesting, you you started in some small markets and then worked your way up to one of the lar- the largest market in the world and the largest market in the United States, the New York City market. What did working in some of the smaller markets do for, do to help prepare you for where you're at in your career now? Oh my gosh, it built, I mean, it built the foundation that I'm at now. And the funny thing is, Olivia, like I couldn't get a job in sports broadcasting my first job out of college. I couldn't even get on air my first job out of college. So my first job out of college, Tim Vint gave me the opportunity. It was a news producer position in Billings, Montana. So after college, I packed up my little Volkswagen Jetta and everything I owned, I drove cross country by myself. My car was standard. So like stick car driving to Billings, Montana. And I was the news producer. I learned how to stack a show, build a show, time out a show. Um, and I wasn't even in sports. So it gave me an appreciation of what goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekends, I would come in and like work for the sports department. I'd go and shoot uh, the rodeo. I'd go and shoot like Billings Mustangs, like arena football. Like I would shoot anything and everything that asked me to do and like had to earn my way into sports. And then I got a job in Yuma, Arizona as a sports director, as a weekend sports anchor and then a news reporter. So even my second job in out of college, I still wasn't doing sports full time, but I just learned how to shoot. I learned how to edit. I learned how to want it. Like I wasn't just handed this job. I had to work for it. So I just appreciate every little second I get. And then when I moved to Indianapolis um, after Yuma, um, I got to work with like unbelievable sports photographers, sports producers. I got to just work on my craft of being a reporter. And I just appreciated it so much. And even now I'm just like, I still pinch myself. It's like, oh my gosh, I actually am doing what I love to do. I get to tell sports stories and I work for it. And I I know how hard it is to get to where you're at. It's so true. And the sports industry, especially broadcast as it, as a whole is already a very tough industry to get into, Mm -hmm. but sports broadcast, so competitive, but it's interesting. I actually, I didn't know that you worked behind the camera first Mm -hmm. when you first came out of college in production. I think that part is so important when it comes to knowing how to be on camera you have to understand what goes on behind camera before you can be on camera i did the same thing in college too and honestly production in my opinion (laughs) i loved production i loved it i loved shooting editing i loved learning all those different things but you know 
when you get to a professional point where you're on camera, oftentimes the two don't really mix. You're, you're either on camera or you're behind camera. Mm -hmm. But you appreciate what goes on behind the scenes. Of so course. I think I under, like you and I understand like, okay, this is the producer's job. Like it's a lot harder than what we did. Like we get all the glory, but we also yeah. get all of the negative too. If something yeah. goes wrong, it's on us. But when something goes well, it's on us. So That's there's true. so much that goes behind the scenes. That's actually a really good point. I didn't, I didn't think about it that mm -hmm. way, but it's true. When you're on camera, you get either all the negatives or all the yep. positives. <laughs> but it's, it's important to appreciate the people who are behind camera. I agree with that too. Mm -hmm. So you are now, you've been with SNY for how many years have you been with SNY now? Olivia, I've been covering that this is my 11th season. Isn't that oh, crazy? That's so crazy. I can't believe this mm -hmm. is already my fourth. I know. Time goes so fast. I guess it's true. Time flies. We're having fun. It, it's true. <laughs> so can you pick out one of maybe your favorite memories over the past 11 years being in New York City and covering because you've been the beat reporter for the Jets for mm -hmm. as many too, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. My first season was... So it's funny, Olivia, because I was in Indianapolis before. So I covered the Indianapolis Colts. And my first year with the Indianapolis Colts was the year they went to the Super Bowl. And they were 10 and 6 that year. And like in Indianapolis, like they're like, oh my gosh, this team is 10 and 6. Like six losses in Indianapolis at that time with Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison was like, oh my God, this team is horrible. But that's the year like they all work together and they end up beating um, the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl. And that was my first year. So that was my first experience covering an NFL team. So fast forward four years, I'm there. My last year in Indianapolis, the Jets and the Colts, and I'd already gotten the job at SNY, so I knew I was going to SNY the following year. Um, the Jets and the Colts are in the AFC Championship in Indianapolis. So it's like my two worlds were colliding. The Colts ended up winning that game, but then they lost to the Saints in the Super Bowl. So then my following year, I go with the Jets, and that was the year they make it to their second AFC Championship mm -hmm. with the Steelers. So I'm like, wow, this is great. And then obviously, <laughs> as Jets fans know, it kind of went downhill after that. But it's just, I just love covering guys. I love telling their stories. I love yeah. getting to know the team. I love seeing the hardships. I love just, I mean, obviously my favorite game, I'll go back to the question you asked me, was the can't wait game. Like when Bart Scott said, can't wait up in New yeah. England. Like, I just remember the guys, like I just remember Braylon Edwards doing a backflip off the off the field. It was just like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. It just happened my first year covering the team. <laughs> Which is actually really crazy. You've probably covered some pretty incredible moments with the Jets because me being in my fourth season now, I hear a lot of stories. I hear a lot of history about the Jets because this fan base is super passionate and very yes. loyal. So you hear about a lot of the crazy times. You've probably actually been able to cover a lot of games that we hear about now that I hear about now. <laughs> I, I have, I have. And some good, some ugly, some, you know, really, really ugly. Some but in between. <laughs> exactly, a lot in between. But like you said, this fan base, like it's such a passionate fan base. It's New York. It's the, it's, you know, blue collar, you know, the Joe Namath yeah. guys, the guy, you know, the guarantee, like there's such a rich history. And I know it's like, difficult for fans right now, but I just love their passion. And I love that no matter what, they're still going to be with this team. Yeah. I love that too. I've, I've noticed that about this fan base as well. They're very loyal. They're very passionate. Mm -hmm. I think that's only things that you can appreciate, but Janae, I want to switch gears now and dive okay. a little bit deeper into you personally. So a documentary series that came out <laughs> a few months ago, everybody watched it during quarantine. 
Um, a familiar face <laughs> was inside this Michael Jordan series. And Scott Burrell, it, for those of you who do not know who are listening, you are married to Scott Burrell. I'm s- I am. I'm very curious <laughs> during this entire time when this documentary series came out, were people bombarding you with questions, with attention? I'd love to know what you and Scott kind of went through during this time that it became super popular because it was during the quarantine. Everybody had time to watch it. Everybody loves yeah. Michael Jordan. Tell me a little bit about that experience. First of all, I absolutely love the first dance. Like it was awesome. Like just going back to that time and remembering I was in high school. I was a sophomore June. I was a senior in high school when this came out and it was just, well, not when it came out, obviously I'm 41 now uh, when the, when the season happened and it was just awesome to relive that and to see the passion and the dedication of Michael Jordan. I mean, I know everybody wants to compare the LeBrons and all that, but there was no one like Michael Jordan. I mean, this guy was a competitor. I mean, he was, and then just to be able to watch it with Scott, someone who lived it and was part of that was so cool. And I got like, my phone blew up Twitter. People were hitting me up on Twitter because as you know, you know, Michael Jordan joked and called Scott. I don't know if it was baby Rodman or Rodman (laughs) Jr. That goes out and parties, but I didn't know Scott's. I mean, I was high school. I was a senior in high school when this happened. Um, He was 27 years old playing in the NBA. He Mm -hmm. was single. I would hope he would be enjoying himself. I, I mean, I met Scott 20 years after the fact. So I just, we just had a good time with it. It was fun. Like I said, it was fun to hear Scott talk about it and hear how Michael Jordan was just so pow- so good and so competitor he was. And just to see that part of it. And, you know, Scott will laugh and be like, you know, I was on, that was my first year on the team. So I was just more scared of learning the plays and learning <laughs> and not messing up and not being the guy who messes up this. You know, they've won, what, five of the last six championships? Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. Um, I was actually thinking about you through a lot of the series when I was watching The Last Dance just because we've had previous conversations about you and your husband and how obviously he played with Michael Jordan. You posted a picture on Instagram of Michael (laughs) Jordan holding your son, Coakley. Has he been able to meet Cora as well? He has not been able to meet Cora. We were actually going to go down in April, but then the quarantine um, hit. Um, But I love the picture because if you ever met my son, he's, he's four. And he's crazy. Um, just the way he had his hand on Michael, like, who's this dude? Like, who's this guy? And you want to be like, this is the greatest basketball player to ever play, Children buddy. Are so like, innocent. you're gonna appreciate this in yeah. ten years. Um, but it's just, it's just fun. I mean, it's just awesome to have that connection. I mean, mm-hmm. and Coakley, it's funny because he has like Jordan shoes, obviously, and Mike Scott wears Jordans, and yeah. Coakley would be like, can we go to Michael Jordans? meaning Michael's the, the craft store. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he'll okay. go around, he'll go around saying, can we go to Michael Jordan's? Can we go see Michael Jordan? Like that's, that's my so friend, cute. Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's so cute. What a cool part though. What, a, what an amazing thing to be a part of the documentary. And I joke because Michael actually has identical twin daughters. Really? I did not who know are that. Two, yes. Who are two years older than Coakley. So I'm like, mm, wouldn't that be fun to have a Burrell and Jordan? <laughs> That's I'm really so pushing that marriage. I mean, I know they're yeah. a little young, but they're there's young, two of them. So just, yeah, plan it for the future. It's fine. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's amazing. It's really cool to hear um, some of the background, just being able to hear you guys watching it together, hear it from Scott's perspective. And 
And you said people did did kind of blow you up, right? I, I would expect that. They, they did, but the funny thing is, like, they're like, oh, I wonder how Janae's feeling. Olivia, I didn't know him. I mean, yeah, like, I can't feel anything. I mean, good for him. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, yeah. And then, like, when people were like, oh, my gosh, Scott must have been so upset, you know. Uh, why didn't he get, why didn't he quit? He was being bullied. I'm like, yeah. Scott loved it. Scott loved how hard Michael was on him. Scott wanted to get better. That's what you want. Yeah. You want a guy who sees potential in you and wants you to get better. Like it, it was awesome. Like I said, I, I want to rewatch it now that you say that. I yeah. wanted more. I might actually watch it again too. It's probably one of my favorite documenting documentaries right? I've ever watched. Yeah, it really is because I always loved Jordan, but when you actually get a deep dive into an athlete's life and kind of their mindset and what went behind their competitiveness, super interesting, especially for people who love sports. It's just, it's just and back then there was no cameras. I mean, can you imagine what Michael yeah, Jordan would be in, in today's world with Twitter and social media? Like fans were flocking to him and. They didn't have it on Twitter. Like, they didn't know anything about him. You had to watch him. Like, yeah. he made basketball. So crazy. It's amazing. And we're mm -hmm. at this point now today. So I want to uh, – one more topic before I let you go. We mentioned your two little ones. Um, yes. Being a woman in this industry, it's a very open conversation that women have oftentimes. Sometimes there's a perspective or a perception, I should say, that women can't have both lives. They can't have a sports broadcasting life, and they can't have the family you have been able to do both. So what were some of the obstacles? Let's first start out doing that, that maybe you ran into when you first were able to start your family, get married and have children. Well, I'll tell you this, you can't really have it all. I mean, you can do a little bit of everything, but as far as like that myth that you can be like, you know, the perfect this, the perfect that, the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect broadcaster, like, it, you can't. It's just you, yeah. you don't have that in you. You just got to learn. I had to learn that I can't be great at everything. I can be good at a lot of things. But the most important job to me was being a mother, is, mm -hmm. is being a mother, because I don't get a second shot at that. Yeah. So I think my goals really changed a lot when I had Coakley. Um, he's four, so it was four years ago. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen because I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I'm going to, everything's going to remain the same. Like, I'm going to do better. I'm gonna, I want that national gig. And then when you have this baby and you have, I mean, he's up all night, you have to worry about getting daycare and sitters and, you know, you're exhausted. And, but then you're worried about like, I, oh, I have to interview Sam Darnold. I have to do this. I have to do that. And you're like, I, you can't keep it all together. So I'm very fortunate. SNY has been fantastic. They let me be a mom. They let me be a reporter. Mm -hmm. They let me do what I need to do. But there are things I have to had to give. I can't go on some of the trips that I would love to go on or do yeah. some of these features that I would love to do with. And, and I have to ask for help. I have to ask people to help me. I need people to come watch my kid. I can't, I need a, a great, we have a wonderful nanny. Um, she's actually with my daughter right now. Um, she's so flexible. Um, Scott's great. Scott will change his schedule to work around my schedule. And as you know, Scott's a basketball coach. So our schedules really don't mix. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of each day, you take it day by day, and I know it's very cliche. It's kind of like a, a sport. You have a game plan. You know, you have a playbook. And the playbook doesn't always go as planned, but you have that basic, you know, what you need to do. But it's hard. It really is hard. But at the end of the day, like I said, if I got to succeed in one thing in life, it's going to be being a mom. That's amazing. And, you know, me being where I'm at in my life right now, I'm obviously not married. I don't have children, but I want that someday. And it's encouraging to look at women who are able to do both. And, you know, a lot of times 
women especially, we talk about it a lot. Actually, um, Molly McGrath for ESPN, I was, um, fo I follow her on Twitter and I yeah. recently saw that she was receiving a lot of negative comments about her being pregnant and being on the field, still doing her job. And I'm curious, did you, have you ever experienced any type of negativity that at some point maybe made you just brought you down or ne just negativity in general? Oh yeah. Well, being pregnant, A, it's not easy. And being on camera makes it even worse. I mean, I gained 50 pounds with both my children. Mm -hmm. Like, so, and I worked with Coakley. I hosted a show April 17th on a Sunday and I gave birth to Coakley April 18th oh that morning. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. So I had, so I literally worked up into the day I gave birth mm -hmm. and finding clothes that fit you when you're pregnant and you're not on TV is hard enough. So I was, I was, maternity dresses are hard. I mean, everything is hard. Your ankles swell. There's everything. And I would get emails saying, you shouldn't be wearing that. You should be embarrassed. You look huge. You look fat. Like you need to start working out again. Um, and then, and it was hard. And then with Cora, I had her in July. So I worked all the way up. I did OTAs. I did stuff. And, yeah, which and is the winter not easy. and the summertime being pregnant. Mm -hmm. So you have to wear being on air. I had to wear shorts sometimes. And I struggled with it. I still struggle with, you know, losing that baby weight. And then after giving birth, Olivia, that's when I struggled the most because you go back on air and you still have that baby weight. And then you're still full with all these emotions and you get all these people tweeting you and you see all these celebrities that have lost 10 pounds, lost like their baby weight, like a week after they gave birth. And it's like, that's not real life. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not real. So I was proud of Molly McGrath and I'm glad she said, you know, you grew a human inside of you. I don't mm -hmm. see men can't do that. They so can't. <laughs> if you want to like judge me, if a man wants to judge me um, because I have a little baby weight or I'm not wearing the appropriate a maternity dress that he doesn't like, well, you go try to grow a child. You, you do that yourself in yeah. your body for, you know, 40 weeks because it, it's not nine months. It's actually 10 months. It's so crazy too. just. It's unfortunate the the day and age that we live in with social media. Everybody just has such immediate access to everyone and everything. And you have to have and you have to have thick skin. You, you have do. to have thick skin in this business as a female. I'm sure you get all the time, Olivia. People aren't going to like you, and that's fine. But I struggled hard. And I, you know, we have brothers. I had two brothers, so they prepared me for anything. Like mm -hmm. anything you said to me, my brothers probably did it worse. You know, they protected me. So it was hard though being pregnant. I, I struggled with that and having the negative connotations because I couldn't help my body changing. I couldn't help that. And it's honestly, it's a really, be really incredibly beautiful thing. None of us would be here today if it were not for mothers. So I think in this day and That's age- That's why I used to write to men when they would say, I'm like, I hope you didn't tell your mom, I hope someone didn't tell your mother that when they yeah, were, you know, raising, uh, growing you. Yeah, it's very true. And I think thankfully, you know, as the world, as, as we continue to grow, I think people are becoming more supportive and more respectful in some ways, but also in some ways, you know, you always are going to have the trolls. But I think it's important to have these conversations. I think it's important for, sure. for women to be able to look at other women who have both and have been able to talk about the struggles because for whatever it's worth from the outside looking in, it always looks like you were very happy, very, you know, excited to be there. You were always like on point. So I could never tell if that's how you're cool. feeling on the inside. Thank I could you. never tell. <laughs> yeah. It was like I said, it's, and again, like I had my children later in life. Um, I love being in my twenties and I had them in my late thirties and it, a lot of it was the business. A lot of it was just, you know, finding the right person doing. So everybody, everybody's on their own journey and their own path. I mean, some women will have babies and not come back to their job, which yeah. that's fine. Some women only do part-time. Some women are back 
you know, two weeks later on the national stage. And that's awesome too. So we all just have to appreciate being a mother and what it means to that person and how you can have it all, your all. Because like I said, you really don't have it all, but I can have my all, like the way I shape what I want. Yeah, which I think is, again, super beautiful. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to leave on a positive note before, before I let you go. What is one piece of positive advice or encouragement you can provide to even like younger women, especially coming into the broadcast industry that want to have all of it? Like you said, you can't be great at everything, but <laughs> you can have all of what you see as your own little world. That's a good question. Um, I think I'd have a two, there's two pieces of advice I would give. The first is don't, don't be afraid to fail. Like you're going to, you're going to want to, you are making your own path and no matter what you do or how you try, you're going to fail. And that is okay. You got to learn from it and grow from that failure. I have failed so many times since being a mother and I'm going to continue to fail, but I've got, I've learned from it and I've grown from it. And then also just be yourself. Like, like I said before, everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's writing their own book. Like I'm writing my own book. I'm writing Janae Coakley, mother, wife, sportscaster. That's my mm -hmm. book and that's my journey. And it's not the same as yours, Olivia. It's not the same as, you know, my best friends, you know, Michelle Yu's in the business, Sarah Kustak's in the business, you know, Dion Miller, Elise, like have, and, and then one more piece of advice. I have three. Okay. No, keep because going. I've named these women. <laughs> you have to surround yourself with strong women and strong friends because mm -hmm. without that group and clan around you, protecting you and, you know, calling my friend Dion, who's a mother of two, who's a uh, football reporter in Chicago. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I supposed to do with my children? Like the Jets just, you know, had breaking news and I don't know what to do with my children. Mm -hmm. Or my friend Elise, who, you know, just left the business because her husband got another job and she had to move cross country and wants to be back in the business and has a two-year-old. Or Sarah, who, you know, who doesn't have any children, but is trying to figure out, I mean, so I just surround yourself with strong women in this business who support you and you support them. That's absolutely incredible advice. Janae Coakley, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the New Yorker podcast presented by Visa. An incredible conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Olivia. And you keep doing your thing, girl. You're awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on another episode of the New Yorker podcast presented by Visa. Thank you so much for sticking by my side each week and listening to all of our incredible guests. SNY's Janae Coakley. I've known her for four years now. Go support her work and listen and share and subscribe to the podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll see you next week.